Hello, everybody, and welcome to another film podcast. I'm Tierney. I'm Colin. And I'm Matt. This week, we will be discussing uh, the Wes Anderson 2001 classic, The Royal Tenenbaums. Yes. One of our faves. Uh, we all together have stories about Royal Tenenbaums, but uh, like we start every week, uh, what are our individual uh first experiences with royal tenant bombs okay <laughs> uh so this one i don't have like as distinct a memory as some of the other movies we've watched and talked about um i know like i i i got it for, i'm like 95 percent sure the first time i saw this i had just like randomly rented it or like checked it out from my public library um I don't even remember why I checked it out. Um, maybe I had heard something. Maybe I was just like, oh, yeah, this cast seems cool. I really have no idea. Um, but I, it was definitely the first Wes Anderson movie I had ever seen. And when I first saw it, I was, you know, in high school. And I was like, yeah, that was really pleasant and fun. And, and like, it just was, like, a nice movie. Uh, but then over the years, I kept going back to it. And every single time I've found something new to enjoy about it um and you know Wes Anderson has become one of my all-time favorite directors um and obviously we'll talk more about like his particular style as we get into the movie but um I think this was one of the first times I ever or this movie was one of the first movies where I ever started paying attention to um like the actual craft of filmmaking um I mean, it's just so blatantly obvious when you watch his movies, the way, like, all of his shots are framed that you can't not notice it. Um, but that was kind of, like, my um, entree into that particular zone of uh, film appreciation. Uh, but on top of that, it's just, like, a really, really funny movie um, that's also really sweet and really heartwarming with, like, really adorable characters and yeah i just it's one of my all-time faves for sure bless i'd say all the same um my first entry into watching it i my parents rented it i think when i was a child because it was it came out in 2001 and i would have been 13 um and i remember watching it and not knowing what was happening like what it was supposed to be only because I was too young and then rewatching it as like, I think a college student, I was like, Oh, this is like very fun and cool and smart and clever and like funny and well-written. And there's so much to like pay attention to in every shot and every scene. Um, and it like, it just depends on what you want to focus on at any given point. Um, so the first time I watched it, I, I vividly remember uh, the uh, scene in the bathroom, but I like, didn't know what to feel about it as a kid. I was just like, oh, this seems like a dark movie. And then as an adult, I was like, oh, that's a super dark moment. Um, but even the comedy around it is so funny. Um, and I guess we'll talk more in detail about certain scenes later, but... Um, that was that's been my experience with Royal Ten Bombs, and now it's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, so I first 
I can't even remember when I first watched this movie. It was not the first Wes Anderson movie I saw. Uh, I think the first one I saw was Zizou or yeah. Fantastic Mr. Fox, um, which, side note, fantastic movie. <laughs> I love so that movie good. so much. It's so good. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I think I was just like initially, I mean, I would have seen those first, and I feel like with each movie, he gets progressively more and more uh, controlling, for lack of a better word. Uh, as far as what is in the actual frame Uh, and so like I thought that was like pretty cool and the amount of like craft that went into every shot is not something that is easily shown in movies versus like this you can see it pretty clearly Um, I thought I also just love that house I really enjoyed that house Um, and I thought the story is pretty good as well and it has been like uh, in my top three Wes Anderson movies um but watching Uh it this time I was like it's I don't know if it's in my top three still and I don't know if I was just in like a mood when I saw it but I was like I think Fantastic Mr. Fox is better than this and to where I think my like it was less funny than I remembered and I don't really know why so that, that's that been my note is like, I'm actually really looking forward to you guys talking about it because I was like, what do I love about this movie? Because I have loved it for so long, but then I watched it and I was like, I don't know that I love it so much. Um, oh. So that's, I know it's, that's what I didn't say anything before because I wanted it to be a surprise for you guys, but I <laughs> want you guys to reconvince me. <laughs> All right, yeah. we can do that. It feels, and this would this is a nice natural progression of what this podcast uh, will soon become, which is uh, there won't be a unanimous uh, agreement that a movie is perfect or excellent, like we did with Where Will Be Blood. Um, and so it's it's good uh, to start talking about, you know, some of it might have hit harder for other people than uh, some of the other ones. So let's let's do it. Let's let's to dive be clear, in it is a good movie. I, just, I just I really want to convince Tierney that she shouldn't hate this movie, that it's better than I, she's giving it credit for, that she hates it so much, but it doesn't deserve it. So I don't hate it. It's just <laughs> at this point, I was like, my favorites are probably Fantastic Mr. Fox, Grand Budapest Hotel, and Zizu. Okay. And, that, and Zizu, that's, that was gonna be that's my unusual like, for me. What what kicked this out of the top three was gonna be my follow up that I you just mentioned. Um well, it's that more is... like, it's just wasn't as clever as I think I initially, for many years, thought it was. But I don't, it's, I think it's just slower than Fantastic it's... Mr. Fox and Grand Budapest Hotel, and I love the pacing of those movies. It definitely is that. I also, I think, um, part of why this is my favorite Wes Anderson, and like, legitimately, at, at any given moment, could be like my number one favorite movie of all time um, is because it is, especially in comparison to his more recent output, it is like way more subdued. Um, Yes. And I think that uh, as much as I love Wes Anderson and like the French dispatch is like one of my most anticipated movies of the year. And I hope that we actually get a chance to see it. um, 
he like he it seems like he's really just like gone all in on like self parody at this point which is fine um like his his shtick works for me so like it doesn't bother me that it's just like dialed up to 11 or 15 or whatever um but i think part of why i love this one so much is that it has all of the wes anderson flares um and it has all of like the the ridiculous characters but there's um it's it's so much more grounded than a lot of um his more recent output which is something that like i you know i hadn't watched this movie recently um probably had been about a year since i'd seen it um but obviously like his more recent output is what's like more fresh in my mind um so having that to compare this one to when i watched it last night i was like oh yeah, yeah, yeah this is why I like this one so much better. Um, which Would you say that Moonrise Kingdom is not grounded in reality? Which, by the way, I forgot that that was a movie. <laughs> <laughs> so it's funny that you should mention that because Moonrise Kingdom is my number two favorite Wes Anderson movie. So. Yeah, I think it, it might actually be above Zizu. I just completely forgot about it. Yeah, I, I love Wes. I yes, love Moonrise Kingdom. <laughs> it's okay. Quarantine's getting the best of all of us. So don't worry about it. Um, but no, I think, uh, Moonrise Kingdom is my second favorite for that exact reason. I think, um, this is the one, I think it's, this will always be higher for me personally, just because of the, the attachment that I've had to it for a longer period of time. Um, but I do really like Moonrise Kingdom for a lot of those same reasons. Um, so yeah. And what's your other the soundtrack one, of Moonrise Kingdom is the tits. Oh, that's so good. Um, my number three would probably be Fantastic <laughs> Mr. Fox. Yes. Um, and I think Grand Budapest would probably be number four. Depending on the day, I might switch the order of those two, but um, they're both pretty high up there. I'll do my three real quick because they're all involved in all the other ones. I think mine would probably go Royal Tenenbaums, Grand Budapest, uh life aquatic um but i i i think on any given day royal tenenbaums and uh grand budapest could flip-flop only because they are the ends of the spectrum in my well i guess bottle rockets like pretty far the other end of like or even very Rushmore. not yeah rushmore is starting to introduce elements like uh his fonts and his like cuts and stuff more than bottle rocket did but um I think Royal Tenenbaums is so, like, uh, it takes itself a little more seriously, I think, than Grand Budapest. And, like, those two ends are what I love about Wes Anderson so much is, like, I actually feel real emotion and also love looking at, like, every piece of scenery and every every prop and every costume and every color. Um, and I think those two movies do it best but we're here to talk about royal tenenbaums <laughs> yes uh, um i i mean we can just start like at the very beginning i like one of the things i love about this movie is the framing device and like uh using using uh like a book like an actual book to tell like a story in movie format is not like a novel uh pun intended 
idea. Like, literally, Disney animated films have been doing that forever. <laughs> um, you know, like, they start with that zoom in on, like, the old book that's sitting in some random, like, hallway or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I Monty love Python the way- and the Holy Grail did it, too, with the bear. Cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> just the random like bear paw just like creeping in. <laughs> um, but I just I love the way that it 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 works itself into this movie throughout. You know, like most other movies, um, they'll just like start the movie with that, and then they'll end the movie, and the book will close, and it'll say the end. And again, when I say most other, I mean almost exclusively Disney animated uh, classics. <laughs> but um, I love the way that like the chapters keep popping up. I love the way that. Um, like if, you know, they, instead of just saying chapter one, it says chapter one, and then it gives you like a little bit of the text. And so you can actually, you know, read the text while that title card is up there. And then when it cuts to the actual scene, you, you see it. It's like, it's like he's showing you the stage directions before you actually get to see the, the finished product. Um, and I love the way that like it's incorporated all throughout. Um, and I also, I mean, Alec Baldwin as the narrator for this movie is like the one reading us this story. Just like, <laughs> it's so delightful. Like every time he just pronounces Tenenbaum, <laughs> like literally every other character, including Royal says Tenenbaum. <laughs> like it just, it makes me laugh every single time. <laughs> When you say Disney animated classics, I'm not really familiar with what you're talking about. <laughs> Monster. <Jesus>. Monster. <laughs> but I love the uh, the prologue that leads into the like announcement of the cast, um, where yes. it's just one by one, like yeah. Gene Hackman as Royal Tenenbaum. Uh, and that's one thing. I, I don't recall if that's in other Wes Anderson movies um, quite like that. But I think the one nice thing about uh, Wes Anderson movies, at least the really good ones, um, are that they always feel like they are plays that he cast and that you're watching the production of. Even though they're movies and even though they're like, some of them are very high budget, they all have this feeling of like, we acknowledge that these are all actors and actresses that we like. And it's just, who are they playing in this particular story? Um, In a way that, like, most movies don't try to call attention to, but that, like, Wes Anderson doesn't really care about. Like, Bill Murray is never not Bill Murray. He's always Bill Murray in a movie with Wes Anderson. And so, like, showing off the cast is, like, very fun for me. Just to be like, yeah, look at all these people and look at all these perfectly framed intro shots. Well, it's like... I have to say that prologue introduction is a fantastic start to a movie it's so it's good like, other it's starting with hey jude the prologue of lord of the rings it's one of the best prologues i would say that exist yeah uh tierney you mentioned the soundtrack to moonrise kingdom earlier mm-hmm. and matt you just mentioned the hey jude uh, another just like incredible thing like his movies always have just like really great soundtracks and needle drops but i feel like this one might be my favorite yes um, i agree there's just so many iconic songs and iconic moments that i tie specifically to this movie um like the sequence where 
um, Richie gets off the boat and uh, mm-hmm. Margot is meeting him mm-hmm. at the like the docks or whatever and she gets off the the bus and like all the audio cuts out and it goes to slow-mo and it's just like her walking out of the bus and that song um by nico case starts playing it's just Just nico not nico case different artists oh yeah my bad sorry uh one was in velvet underground (laughs) you're right i can't hear that song without thinking of that scene Exactly. Yeah. It's it's just like so ingrained in my memory that like it that that is one of the major things of this movie is like and that's just one sequence, you know, obviously the um Elliot Smith song from the bathroom scene that you mentioned earlier. Like there's just so many iconic things um that are tied to this movie for me. Um and I, I just I the soundtrack is is impeccable. Yeah, uh, uh, me and Julio down at the schoolyard, and that oh, whole that sequence segment. is perfect. Uh, <laughs> but I, I do want to go back to the to the Margot getting off the bus, because I think it's, like, one of the most uh, just beautiful short sequences of, like, any movie from the past 50 years. And we make a lot of hyperbolic comments on this, but I don't care. It's our film <laughs> podcast. We'll do what we want. <laughs> Our film um, what, Matt? Our film what? It's our film podcast. I said podcast. Okay. I thought for a second you said podcast, and I was like, I don't I know what that is. I would never commit such a heresy. Um, <laughs> but that sequence, uh, starting with him just, like, walking from the boat docks to the bus stop, uh, we already we get, like, the first real intro of a world filled with Futura font, which is, like, just incredible to look at, like, a dock having this gorgeous like mid-century sans serif font on like where the piers are and like what the station is named and it's all the same font and it's on the boat i think it's like the queen helen or whatever and it's just like also on the boat so like we already get this like uh, interesting setting uh like put in place and then when she comes off this like also old bus and it's clearly modern day uh the the way the music cuts out like you said and then the way that like all the sailors are walking in perfect rhythm behind Richie unimportant to the scene like it's just adding to the setting of the dock but like all of them are walking in slow-mo in sync with each other and fill the screen with like this white brightness behind Richie's head every close up is perfect it's it's like one of the best sequences in the movie and also of any movie. I love it so much. I would yeah, say the I, best sequence of this movie is hands down the me and Julio down at the schoolyard. <laughs> when they just and not like... only because of my undying love for Paul Simon, but also because that scene is pretty much catered to me. It's just chaos. It's, and yeah. what they're doing is chaos. <laughs> when they just like run out of the locker room screaming and just <laughs> and I, I never noticed it before like I knew they ran up a platform but last night I noticed like what it's that tables and chairs is. it's chairs it's, <laughs> there's like a really really fucking tiny chair is their first stool or first ladder 
first rung, I guess. And then there's like a normal size chair and then there's a table. <laughs> like that it's just like I was I didn't even realize that. I didn't either. Like I was always like, yeah, I guess like if there's a pool, sure there's probably some sort of platform like maybe they use it for, you know, when they're giving out uh medals for like uh, for a starting block. Yeah, or starting blocks or something. Like, I, I never realized what it was. And then last night, I was like, this is just, like, a random table chair situation. It's so funny. But they come out of that locker room, and they're just, like, yelling. And it's just like, what the fuck is happening? Um, and then, but... yeah, all the other stuff that happens. Although I will say, uh, one thing that has super not aged well in this movie um, is the dog fighting. <laughs> I don't... It feels... But it does feel like the it's perfect... It's not a good thing. Yeah, and it and him being like, is this blood? And he's like, oh, that's just dog's it's blood. He's like blood. so funny. Because his nonchalance with it like, does put a finer point on like what an insane thing that is to bring grandkids <laughs> to. Like, if you were to put a villain to this movie, the villain would be royal. Oh, And yeah, so absolutely. for him to be dogfighting is like, well, that checks out. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and I mean, like we all know, like Wes Anderson has a uh, complicated, we'll say, uh, relationship <laughs> <Storied>. with dogs. <laughs> so, um, so it's not terribly surprising, but um, that was just like one thing that like I had purposefully blocked out of my memory. So every time I watch this movie, I'm like, oh fuck, that's right, I forgot about this. <laughs> like, um, but other than that, yeah, the sequence where they're all just like running around, uh, and he's like introducing Chaz's kids to like fun is really, <laughs> really enjoyable. Just riding on the back of a garbage truck and cackling. Dude, I always wanted to do that as a kid to the point where like we would go to the grocery store and if we stood on the, you know how you have the handlebar part of the cart and you stand yeah. on the other end, we would call that the garbage man. And my mom <laughs> would push us around the store and we would be the garbage man throwing things in the cart. <laughs> that's incredible and that surprises me literally zero (laughs) yeah that tyranny played a garbage man growing up uh fun uh, another fun fact is uh i went through a period of time where my insult to people wasn't like you're a fucking idiot but it was when dad gets home he's gonna throw you in the garbage can and i would say that to my siblings (laughs) <laughs> uh, your, your childhood is just a thing of beauty <laughs> yeah it does feel vaguely tenenbaum it yeah it definitely does uh, um that also reminds me you kind of alluded to it uh i think it's like very apparent in all of his movies but um like especially with this one it's like it is set in modern day but there's so many things that make you think maybe it's not um like just the way that all the characters dress the way that like the green line buses all look just awful Mm -hmm. uh the gypsy cabs and you know obviously like dudley like this car has a dent in it (laughs) he's like and another (laughs) one and another one it's just like all of this stuff just like it it just I don't know. Like, on, on one hand, it feels very modern, and on the other hand, it feels like this movie was, like, set in, like, the 70s or something. I don't know. It's really That's, bizarre. When you said it was... Mo- oh, did you guys hear that? That was my eye squeaking. Uh, <laughs> when you, Matt, when you said it was modern day, I was going to ask, is it? Because there's... 
almost no inclination that it is. No one travels by plane even. They travel by boat. Like I would say it's probably like mid 80s. Maybe late I don't know. 80s. The TV that they watch Richie on seems like it was already in the 90s. I think it's I think it's modern day. I'm trying to think of anything that would have been more uh I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe it is set I mean it's definitely a like while back. Modern ish. Well, it doesn't help think, that they all have arrested development and dress the exact right. same. I, well, yeah. and, and their rooms are all kids' rooms. Um so they're from whatever era those they were kids in. Which I think that is my maybe the best uh way to measure it the best barometer is like when they were kids what era did it look like and it looks like the 70s like royal looks like he's in the 70s not in the 50s right uh so it does... what about that tiny little tv in Margot's bathroom mm, i guess i mean that's before the era of digital uh television uh so you know a small black and white antenna tv uh, it was it was still around in the early two thousands? We had one. Of, I, well, <laughs> we had one of those when I when we were growing up that we would take like when we would do like um, camping trips and stuff. Um, yeah. And so yeah, like I don't know if it's necessarily like modern day. Like this movie came out in two thousand one, so the movie is set in two thousand one. But I would definitely say it's like at least set in the nineties. Um, mm-hmm. Those tracksuits don't seem retro yeah right no and like i noticed uh when i was watching it last night Chaz is wearing um blue suede pumas which like oh yeah possibly could have been out back then but that definitely seems more of like a modern um stylistic choice oh and isn't i feel like eli cash also exists in a very different world than <laughs> the rest of the yeah. family what? so like his whole story of like publishing this book and everything does seem modern but eli cash is such an interesting uh character that i forget his involvement in the story all the time because i just think of the family but he's like a huge player in so many parts of the story uh and he's the oh, the other antagonist if royal tenenbaum is the antagonist eli cash is the other one <laughs> i just I don't understand his cowboy hat. Where that comes from? <laughs> his whole thing, the fringe, like the fringe yeah. jacket. Like I understand Incredible. he's writing about the old west, but like it seems like he's been doing that for a while, that little getup. And if everyone else's outfits are like an arrested development from their childhood, what is his? I think it's trying to be interesting, which I think is what makes uh, Eli such an interesting character of like He's so desperate to be a Tenenbaum that mm-hmm. he, like, made himself one by being like, oh, I'm going to, like, write books just like Margot wrote plays. And I'm going to be world-renowned the way Richie was world-renowned. And I'll have funny costumes just like them. I'll wear a hat and a fringe jacket and have weird paintings on my wall. Those paintings are insane. The pictures yeah. on it <laughs> as well are so absurd. And they fill the entire frame of that scene. Yep. It reminded me of, like, the weird um, paintings that were in, like, Pawnee City Hall and Parks and Rec, where it's just, yes. like, some this, like, 
gratuitously violent sequence of like Native Americans. Combi- You're just like, oh god, what is this? Like, Combined with like in Dodgeball, the grabbing the bull by the horns painting in Ben Stiller's office. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so wild. <laughs> I I watch one of the deleted scenes on our Criterion Blu-ray uh, because we support physical media. Uh, and one of the deleted scenes, Eli has children. Whoa. Which was a big revelation. There's like two kids. That, I am the third uh, revelation. I am the third Eli Cash. Um, but, uh, like, uh, what's his name? Richie says hi to them. And I was like, what? <gasps> Kids? And then at one, and then in that scene, Eli's like, oh, you're still here? And it's like, this fully, fully nude woman just standing in his house, like, I guess a sculpture? Like a living sculpture? So, like, it's weirder. The deleted scene made Eli Cash's home even weirder and it's already such a weird place in this movie <laughs> that's so crazy i i don't know if i've ever watched any deleted scenes from this movie but uh i think there's only two okay <laughs> well <laughs> <laughs> um the another thing that really struck me last night more than any other time i've watched this movie is just how fucking good Gene Hackman is in this movie. Right on. He is so incredible in this movie. Whereas, like, all the other characters are, like, fairly muted. Um, You know, like, uh, Margot is very clearly depressed, as is Richie. And um, Etheline is just very, like, calm and collected. And, like, Chaz is neurotic, but, like, never, like, really over the top. Um, But, like, Royal is just, like, always smiling, always having a good time, always... Like, it's just... It's it's, it's a really incredible performance, especially when you compare it to, like, every other character in the movie. Um, And I was just like, man, Gene Hackman, great actor... And, like, you know, bless him for living his life, but I miss having him on, on my screen. And supposedly he did not get along with Wes Anderson uh, during this movie, yeah. which uh, is interesting because it's such a good performance, and it seems like he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. Um, so it is interesting that, like, their relationship was not great on the set. Yeah. In fact, I think Wes Anderson said he was the worst person he's ever worked with and he would never work with him again. But, like you said, incredible performance. And maybe that's what makes it so good, is maybe that's not what Royal is supposed to be, necessarily. Oh, interesting. Interesting. I wonder. Also, just one of the best lines of the movie is delivered by him, which is, I'm having a ball. Scrapping, yelling, mixing it up, loving every minute with this damn crew. Like, the... And that scene, which I never, I think, paid attention to the dialogue in the scene between him and Ethelene when they're just walking. Yeah. And she's like, just the little things you say. Like, you have all these little things that you say. And I was like, oh, that is his character. Is that he is, he just has these, like, little phrases and little ways of being that are charming. And that's why he's able to get away with so much bad stuff all the time. Because <laughs> he just talks his way out of it. And it's so funny that that's his whole thing. I, somebody in college, um, I had like on Facebook as their, you know, like 
not current iterations of Facebook, but way back in the day when <clears throat> your status was just like, Matt is, and then you like would finish the sentence. Um, but you could also put like, a, like a little like bio or whatever in there. Um, somebody that I went to college with had in their bio loving every minute with this damn crew. And I, as much as I love this movie, I never made the connection to that line until I was oh. watching it last night. And I was like, he said it and I was like, it just like brought back this really weird memory from like 10 years ago. <laughs> and, like, I don't even remember who it was that I went to college with that had that, but it was definitely like something that I was like, Oh, that's a weird thing for somebody to have put on their Facebook bio. <laughs> and then... I had it. I had it on my Instagram bio. Oh, I don't think, it, I think Maybe this it, was like, it I might mean, not it, have been me. I was going to say, I have a feeling that it was definitely like farther in my past. Like I've only known you yeah. for a little while. And like, this definitely is something that's been like, back in the brain um but yeah that jumped out to me tonight and i was like oh that's really fun i wish i would have appreciated that in the, t- <laughs> in the moment <laughs> royal is so i think we should just like go through a breakdown and i actually really want to talk about ethylene um and she... she's got so many quiet moments of such expert acting yes i love her watching this movie this time she's my favorite character yeah, I love her line of, none of your business. And then the little look on her face of, like, I know that I could play into this and, like, kind of want to. But, like, it's more fun to, like, keep you on your toes, Royal. Like, her her little subtle acting moves are so good in this. Um, mm-hmm. And she does come off as a good mother. Like, even yeah. with all the pressure that the kids had growing up. <laughs> Like, when she's like, write yourself a check, and Chaz already has, and she just signs it, it's like, yes, she's, like, a little too focused on them being adults at too young of an age, but you never get the sense that she's not loving or caring about their uh, individual wants. Like, when she doesn't allow Royal to ever come to a birthday party again after he (laughs) insults Margo's play, which is also such a good scene of her just going... Good night, everyone. <laughs> and then leaving during happy birthday. <laughs> like, it's so funny that, like, that setup is hilarious on its own. That just this, like, self-absorbed asshole father would just not pull any punches in, like, criticizing his, like, 11-year-old daughter's play. Like, just <laughs> the setup on its own is really, really funny. But then they kick it up a notch. <laughs> like as soon as she walks out, everybody starts singing "Happy Birthday," <laughs> and Ethelene's just holding a cake with a bunch of lit candles. Like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> so good. Um, but yeah, she's so such an empathetic character that like mm-hmm. watching her interact with all of the other characters is really, really moving, and uh, it's very sweet and heartwarming. Like every time she is on screen um so yeah god bless like yeah. when she Even visits at... margo and asks her to come home yeah she's like she she's basically like you're not okay why don't you come home for a little bit yeah which mm-hmm. uh also quick sidebar um leads into another one of my favorite lines in the movie when she is like walking to get into the cab and Raleigh says, you don't love me anymore. And she says, I do kind of. <laughs> she just says it like, so quickly. That, like, if you're not paying attention, you miss it. <laughs> like, I definitely so... did. Yeah, I missed that too. I do kind of. 
It's so Yikes. good. What a horrible <laughs> thing to say to someone. There are so many, and that I think is what makes Royal Tenenbaums so different from other. Well, maybe not. Wes Anderson movies are loaded with these little like loaded lines, um, but there's so many really like poignant versions of that in this. Like even later, when after Richie's attempted suicide, and Margot's like, "Was it because of me?" And he's like, "Yeah, but it's not your fault," which is like. It's true. Like, it it was because of her, but it's not her that caused it, and it's not her who should feel guilty. And it's, just, like, those little moments in this movie are so good. Even, I mean, even as funny of one that was like, I don't think you're an asshole, Royal. I just think you're kind of a son of a bitch. Yes. <laughs> so good. <laughs> uh, and, like, the other thing about Ethelene when she's, like, talking to... um. Remind me of uh, Danny Glover's character. Uh, what is that? Henry, I think. Henry, yeah, Henry. Henry Sherman. Also, his his book, Accounting for Everything, is incredibly clever for a title of a book. It's so funny. Uh, and it makes it also him and Chaz, they do have a lot in common. Like, they're both planners, and they both are widowers who have kids. Who are like doing their best and like Chaz? just trying to Chaz, yeah. Did I say oh, Chaz? Oh, okay. I was thinking I was thinking of Owen Wilson's character and I was like, oh, what no. the fuck? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Henry and Eli Cash are the same character. Okay, like when continue. Henry drives his car into a dog. Um But no, like the the moment that they have where he's like, you know, I'm a widower, and Henry's like, I know Chaz. Like that moment is really beautiful and Henry's such, like, a good good man that you really do, yep. like, root for him in every scene he's in. But the his name of Accounting for Everything is – Chaz could have written that book and probably did a later version of it. But, uh, hit, like, him and Royal have such an interesting relationship. Um, and him and Ethelene when they're walking and she talks about all the other suitors that she's not interested in. Like, all those names of people we never meet and we never really see, but she's just like, well, I don't want to be with those people. It's so funny that, like, he's a suitor that is going after Ethelene, but the only one that, like, actually has a shot and ends up getting it. <laughs> like, I love that that's who Henry is. Also, when she's like, I haven't slept with a man for 17 years, and then they're both like, um i really that moment that you mentioned matt um is really sweet especially because when um i think earlier in the movie uh isn't Chaz like yeah i've known him as your accountant mr sherman Yes. You know, he's like, I've known him for, or she's like, you've known him for 10 years. He's like, yeah, as your accountant. And then at the end of the movie, they finally come around to be like, oh, actually, like, we do have something in common and I should have given you a chance. And like, it's a really mm-hmm. sweet way to like, c- to kind of tie up that, uh, that relationship. Him and his son are like the only voices of reason. Yes. Yeah. And the whole movie. Yeah. They're same people who are like, becoming part of this family where it's like oh you're in for a lot this family is complicated ethylene probably is too but she's also compromised because they're her children whereas he's just like this is insanity yeah Yeah. (laughs) also her office is so fun where it's just like i love it 
artifacts everywhere. It looks like your uncle's house. <laughs> yeah. And and there's a whole shelf of National Geographics, which like <laughs> we definitely used to have one of those. And then my mom was like, "This this is too many. We're gonna start throwing them away." And uh, watching it, and by the time I watched it, she had already thrown them away from like I'm talking like. 1990 1989 <laughs> through like 1997 and Jesus. was just like this is too much i'm gonna dump them and then watching them and watching that movie and seeing them on the shelf i was like mom <laughs> what have you done <laughs> why now she only keeps them for like a year and i'm like ugh. fair enough yeah, I love the books in this movie, or like the plays. Nakedness Tonight I was gonna is say, Margo's I, play. Yeah, I was trying to pay attention to some of them, like more than in other times I've rewatched this movie, and that was the one that jumped out to me. <laughs> Nakedness Tonight. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> also, all of the board games in that closet are really fun. Yeah. Ooh, um, I didn't. I didn't see any of them. I didn't like look at the names of them. Uh, I mean, they're just regular board games, but then the. Uh, it lingers on Endgame for a while, which I thought was funny. Oh, nice. <laughs> when when Royal's, like, clutching at straws, and they're finding out that he is not sick. <laughs> um, I love that when, when, he, when he's like, no, no, I'm not sick. Then she's like, what the hell is wrong with you? And then she's immediately like, no, no, I am sick. And she's like, really? <laughs> that sequence is so funny. It's, like, such a roller coaster for... Like especially her, but like for the viewer too. You're like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, is he is he sick? Like, cause you know, I like we don't really know at that point. Um, I also thought one thing I noticed. Um, he recruited, um, the one of the other uh hell or um elevator operators to like play his doctor. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end. Is, which is funny, but yeah, at the end when the doctor is talking to, I can't remember what character he's talking to, but the he's like talking to. Oh, he's talking to the Richie. fireman. He's talking oh, no, to oh. Richie because Richie got like elbowed in the eye during the fight, and he's like, "Ah, oh, it's probably a scratch cornea. You should be fine." <laughs> it's like, wait, what? <laughs> I also so never put good. together that the Dalmatian dog. Is a natural progression for Chaz's Dalmatian mice, which I never put together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that was when Tierney mentioned the board games. I was going to say, I thought of you last night when I watched it, Matt, because at one point the camera focuses on one of the Dalmatian mice running right in front of the Clue board game. Mm. And I was like, oh, Matt, look at you. <laughs> Dalmatian mice and Clue, my favorite. <laughs> it's your two favorite things in the world. <laughs> How many times did we play Clue together when we lived together? None. We played it zero times because no one would let me. You're cruel. You're I think cruel. we, both, I think we conceded cruel. one at least one time. I think it was just once. Yeah. <laughs> I do think we did concede. I remember I, uh, at, I played it with like a different group of people. And like, Matt was very upset. Yeah, like, I knew that Matt had wanted to play this game with us for a long time, and I kept not playing it with him. <laughs> and then I played it with a different group of people and came home and told him, and he was like, you're dead to me. <laughs> yeah, it's so wrong and so mean. Uh, and I will say, though, I did play it recently, at least within the last couple of years, and what I discovered about playing Clue 
was that it turns out I'm not that crazy about playing Clue so much as the concept of playing Clue and the detective work behind that. But the actual, like, process, I was like, this is kind of slow and, like, repetitive. I'd like to, like, have a real investigation with, like, evidence that we're looking into more than just, like, was it you? Was it you? Was it you in this room? What about with this thing? Was it you? I think it was this person. Game's over. Like, I admit it it leaves a lot to be desired. Also, this is not a podcast about Clue. Uh, It is a podcast about Royal Tenenbaums. Some other titles, book titles, are Raleigh St. Clair's first book, The Peculiar Neurodegenerative Inhabitants of Kazawa Atoll. Of the Kazawa Atoll. Uh, Family of Geniuses, which is an excellent cover and book name. is just Family of Geniuses with the three of them uh, from behind. Counting for everything. Three plays. Here are the three plays by Margot Tenenbaum. Erotic Transference, Nakedness Tonight, and Static Electricity. Very (laughs) unexciting, the last one. I know. I I noticed that at one point there was a shot where you could see the the posters from those like around a doorway and you could just see Margo mm-hmm. like down the hall or whatever. And I saw nakedness tonight first and erotic, what was it? Erotic transfer. Erotic transference. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that one. And so I saw them in that order and I was like, Oh man, this third one's going to be good. <laughs> I saw... Oh, okay. Well, never yeah. mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, just old Custer is the only other one. And I love, how dumb his press conference is. Now, yes. we all know that uh, Custer died at the Battle of Little Bighorn, but uh, what this book posits is, what if he didn't? Snap, snap, snap. That is one What of, a stupid... It's so dumb, but it's one of my favorite lines. And I, I used to quote that back and forth with my friend. Like, it's just, like, out of nowhere. We hadn't, like, mentioned this movie in a while, and one of us would just send a text to the other one and said... We all know, but what this presupposes <laughs> is maybe he didn't. Oh, <laughs> uh, Eli is so weird and such an awful person. He's such yeah. an agent of chaos, too. Like, uh, Richie explicitly tells him not to say anything about like his feelings for Margot, and the first time we see him and Margo interact with one another, he just, like, nonchalantly is like, yeah, he's in love with you. I don't know. (laughs) It's like, what the (laughs) fuck, dude? (laughs) Him driving his car into the wedding at the end is, like, I think it's such a good way to add excitement to this finale, which otherwise isn't that exciting. It's, like, a lot of people making their amends with each other. And like adds so much tension you think maybe chaz's kids are gonna die uh it's a moment for royal to prove himself and save the kids and just the sound of the crash and the way the camera jostles to be like <laughs> oh the whole the whole house shook uh and just margo going eli just drove his car into the front door yeah. <laughs> on the front stairs it's so ridiculous i love like <laughs> Little stuff like that. Like, there's a couple different times. Like, when, when um, uh, Royal and oh god, what's his what's who's what's the name of the the guy who stabs him? Pagoda. Pagoda. Thank you. 
uh, King, Royal and, King Pagoda. And Royal and Pagoda are standing outside of the hospital trying to figure out how they're going to like break in so they can see Richie. And Pagoda's just like, <laughs> there he goes. <laughs> like, when they go to uh, Eli's to like, inter- like give him an intervention and take him to rehab. And then Pagoda's just like, oh, there he goes. <laughs> just like, or, or Margo's like, Eli drove his car into the house. <laughs> just like so many weird little like... Yeah, this should mean more than it does. Like, I should be more yeah. excited about this, but I'm just going to state it matter-of-factly and we'll move on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. When he is... When uh, Royal is telling them, like, yeah, I got stabbed and Pagoda sat with me the whole night at the hospital made sure I was okay. And they're like, who stabbed you? And he's like, he did. <laughs> that, like, complexity to Pagoda that he's like both a hired assassin and also very loyal is so funny and makes him stabbing Royal after already participating in like he was part of the ruse and then to stab him (laughs) to be like I'm also mad that's the last time you stabbed me (laughs) it's so it's like a very Wes Anderson moment of like Fantastic Mr. Fox has a lot of those where like somebody does something and it's a very fast action and then the reactions are like okay fine and like this was one of those moments of just like instead of a goodbye just one shiv and then helping him get in the cab and like leave <laughs> well i also like that they when they get into the cab they're not like let's go to the hospital he's just like 375th street why <laughs> yeah i just got stabbed but fuck it <laughs> it's such a tiny knife though yeah, like, <laughs> I do love, like, the camera focuses in on him just, like, taking, like, the, the smallest Swiss Army <laughs> pocket knife out of his pocket and just pulling the blade out. You son of a bitch! <laughs> and just, like, charging him. It's like, oh, okay. Oh, man. Oh. Uh, also, the, uh, 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 pretty unrelated, but in the flashback to, uh, the notoriously bad tennis match that Richie uh lost is that jason schwartzman's voice as an announcer it I is so. wes i thought it was wes anderson and then the other owen will the other wilson yes. brother oh yeah, okay right. i knew there was some sort of connection i uh but yeah that's you're right t um okay i knew for sure one of them was the other wilson brother and he I... plays another character in this movie who i am now blanking on really oh i won't know that yeah and his hand is actually the hand that has the BB in it. Oh. Um, I'm trying to think of who the character is. It's kind of like a throwaway moment. Sure. But he he has a couple lines. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, also Luke Wilson. Uh, it's, it's weird to think that in 2001, Luke Wilson was already, like, showing... I mean, he had done Bottle Rocket and stuff like that, and... Rushmore but the way his like he just takes this so seriously is so weird to think of like Luke Wilson being this serious of an actor um and we're like Owen Wilson's still like pretty funny in this and like over the top and like fits in with all of his other characters but Luke Wilson I think like this is his best performance and it shows that like he could do this more often uh and then not just Wes Anderson movies. I found the other so it's the their older brother Andrew and he plays the dad in Indiana who cop chops off Margot's finger. 
<laughs> his pipe falling out of his mouth when he's like, oh my god. <laughs> I also always wondered, like, how was she holding that piece of wood that it only yeah. cut off her, yeah. like, her ring finger? <laughs> like, and, like, at the root, too. Yeah. <laughs> I also love the so uh, funny. the title card of Alteration of Glove. Yeah. Where it's literally just, like, one of those shitty, like, you know, dollar pair of, like, gloves that you can get at, like, any store. And they just, like, cut the top off and did nothing else. It's like, sure. <laughs> um, the only other thing that I had on my list to talk about was um, Buckley. Because this is truly where my love of beagles came from. And uh-huh. someday I will own a beagle, and he will be named Buckley, and it's going to be just a, a glorious, you know, 10 to 15 years of my life. Yeah, we, the faster you can make that happen, the better, because I want to meet Buckley. <laughs> I would love to not be alone in this apartment during quarantine, but um, I don't know. I don't know if that's I'm quite sure, in the like, cards for me. Pet services is like an essential service. Sure. Do it now, Colin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Buckley's also in the opening shot uh, that introduces uh, the whole, like Chaz's whole family, and Buckley is just over his shoulder sitting. And I never realized that he's also there, but he's like there for everything. Buckley yeah. is is such a trooper. They, I uh, I caught this last night when they're when Royal and the the kids are <laughs> Ari and Uzi. By the way, just incredible <laughs> names, incredible stuff. Uh, Chaz. Rachel, Ari, and Uzi. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, but when they're riding horses, you can just see, like, at the bottom of the frame, Buckley just, like, sprinting along. And I was like, oh, <laughs> look at you. Look at you go. Buckley. We should also talk about the other Lee in this movie, which is Dudley. Oh. Um, and how also kind of non sequitur his character is, but how much he adds to the movie. Uh I mean, in the introduction scene of, like, uh, he's colorblind, and he, I'm colorblind? Yeah. Fascinating. <laughs> it's like, his incredible sense of hearing. <laughs> he's just, like, all the way down the hall. <laughs> I also love uh, another favorite Dudley moment is at the very end, when they're, like, going on their, like, book tour. He's like, can the boy tell time? <laughs> Raleigh's just like, oh my dear lord, no. And Dudley agrees Dudley and shakes just, his head like no. he's just smiling and shaking his head. <laughs> no, I don't know how to tell time. No. I do love that like even though uh Raleigh has no Raleigh and especially Dudley have no business being involved in the family. <laughs> Like after mm-hmm. after Margot like moves out of their house and then very clearly is like not in love with him anymore, kind of. Um, yet they're still around. Like they're at at his funeral. <laughs> like, yeah, what? this doesn't make any sense. And like, why is Henry's son at Royal's funeral? <laughs> this is such a weird choice. I also love the line where Royal's like, "Hey, I think you're treating." Uh, I don't. I don't like the way you're treating Raleigh. And she's like, "You don't even know him. <laughs> never met him before." <laughs> and I never realized that like he doesn't know Raleigh St. Clair at all. But he has opinions on like how she's treating him. So funny. 
well. Yeah. Also, the the uh, the moment with Dudley finding uh, Richie. Oh yeah. His face is also like so memorable of like the horror and the shock of like, oh god, like what's happened, and he's at the hospital like running with them to like save his life. That oh. it's it's that shot is so like weirdly funny in like a very very dark moment, but with <laughs> just. Just like the whole crew of them is just running down the hall. <laughs> They've just got yeah. blood all over their shirts. It's like, I shouldn't be laughing at this, but here we are. Yeah. But then the next scene is also them being like, so what did you do it for? And he's like, well, it's a suicide. And then they're like, did you write a note? And he's like, yeah, after I woke up in the hospital, I wrote a note. And they're like, is it dark? And he's like, it's a suicide note. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. And it's, like, the most dark moment that it could possibly be around. Yeah. Oh, Richie. To bring it all the way back, I think that might be part of another reason why I like this one so much is that, like, it does have that, like, really somber moment in it. Where, like, a lot of Wes Anderson movies are just, like, purely whimsical, um, especially, like, his more recent output. Um, Mm -hmm. I like that this one has that moment where it's like, yeah, there's a lot of whimsy in this movie, but there's also some like real shit in this movie as well. Um, and I think that that like helps again for me, that kind of helps elevate this movie above some of his other stuff. Yeah. Is it time? What you're talking about? Because that rat in fantastic Mr. Fox is not whimsical (laughs) at all when he tries to knife. Throwing the knife between his hands back and forth. And flicking a cigarette on top of that shelf. It really grounds it. Um, I was going to say, is it time to discuss some potential tattoos? I think so. Um, So, you know, again, nothing really jumped out at me. So uh, my first thought was a tattoo of Buckley. But, like, not just any beagle. It has to be Buckley. Um, So that was one idea. But I'm open to other suggestions. I love the wallpaper in Margot's room. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of, like, really good textures in this movie. um, Mm -hmm. That any one of those would, would probably be an interesting, like... I'm trying um, to think. do it a Would zebra just like a whole... with with red around it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just a full back of wallpaper. Not yeah, a full, just one to... zebra. <laughs> <laughs> my um, my roommate Hannah has an Eli Cash tattoo on her oh. upper right arm or left arm, right arm. Um and it's ju- it's him without like a face, but it's just like the outline of his like cowboy hat and the fringe jacket hanging over his shoulders, and just like waist up. And it's very cool and very subtle, and just looks like a cowboy. But it's exactly Eli Cash, and it's very good. That's well, that's awesome. pretty good. Yeah. What I'll yeah. say though, my suggestion would be the Tenenbaum pennant that flies from the top of eleven one eleven Avenue. Very Smarty. simple. It's just a pink triangle with a little circle and a T and you already have a Chicago flag tattoo. So a pennant would be True. very close. Yeah. I think Colin might actually get that tattoo. 
I was going to say, yeah. like, most of these things that we've talked about in this podcast are, sorry, podcasts are jokes in terms of the tattoo ideas, but, like, I'm going to hold on to that one. <laughs> There's a, a very real possibility that that will end up on my body at some point. <laughs> yeah. It's also so simple that it isn't something that would take, like, very long, just like your uh, your current one didn't. And that little middle circle with the T, you don't even have to fill that in. That could just be your skin, and it could be a little T in there. I think we're. I think this is a real. Uh, I think this is a real go get that. <laughs> go get it right now. <laughs> yeah. It's hey, like apparently stage the, one is you can get tattoos. I was gonna say as soon as like quarantine. So Denver's still not quite there yet, but as soon as fly uh, to Georgia lifts, or is it Georgia? Is Georgia yeah. the one? Yeah, that's opening. Yeah, fly to Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> that's a tattoo. Reasonable. <laughs> And Corona. Um, yeah. Yeah. Fly to Georgia, get a tattoo, contract a deadly virus while you're there. What could go wrong? The old T and C tattoo and Corona. It's a classic combination. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's definitely the winner. Cause I, I think something, or the, the only other thing that I could think of would be like a quote, but I don't even know which one I would choose. Cause there's so many really good ones in this movie. Um, so I, I I like the idea of the of the the flag pennant thing, whereas it's yeah. like it's it's a subtle reference. But you could get Chaz's red jumpsuit tattooed on your whole body. I mm-hmm. also thought uh, I do need some new shoes. Um, and <laughs> I saw I finally noticed because like the the red jumpsuit is what you obviously like associate with Chaz. Also just an incredible note that it switches to a black jumpsuit. In the yep. <laughs> and Ari and um, Uzi have the same matching black track suits yeah. too. So good. Um, but anyway, I, so like, obviously like the red jumpsuit is what you like, what you associate with him. But tonight for, or last night for the first time, I noticed the shoes that he was wearing and I actually do need new shoes. So I was like, Oh, maybe I'll get myself a pair of those those blue suede pumas that he was rocking and yeah. eventually maybe someday we'll also get a adidas tracksuit. <laughs> i used to have some adidas blue suede shoes they got I dirty have... very fast and they were uncomfortable kind of i have Uh-oh. the bottom of a adidas tracksuit just just track pants is it red no they're black well, then, Good so for no. a funeral. We're always <laughs> going to funerals. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, last other thing. Not last other thing. Uh, do we want to talk about Academy Awards? Yeah, this did uh, fairly One for well, writing. So, it did not win for writing. It was nominated just for kidding. writing. I was just <laughs> testing you. <laughs> it's really, it is really interesting to me how his movies have become more Oscar Beatty as they've gotten weirder, which seems like mm-hmm. the the opposite of what you would expect. But right? like Grand Budapest had like eight nominations, I think. Okay, but Grand Budapest it, was a fucking treasure. And like, it's also, I'm not saying, like immaculate. It also I mean, I'm like, not saying it's a bad shades. movie, but but it, it's just like Yeah. This movie <laughs> if you're just gonna like compare those two movies with what you traditionally think of as the Academy. Like this seems like it is way more their jam mm-hmm. than Grand Budapest. 
which is not which, like a quality judgment on either film because I love both of them. But it just it's just it's it's interesting to me that like as Wes Anderson's shtick has become more shticky, the the Academy has been like, yes, this is this is what we've been waiting for. Which yeah, I mean, as much as I love Grand Budapest, it is it's it's I think it's more like he was able to get past them with the things sure. that they do like. Because like Grand Budapest is a period piece. The costuming is incredible. The story is like real quick, which like I'm sure Academy voters love. Yeah. And like it it has this like tone of like refined beauty. Like in him saying like uh F. Murray Abraham talking in the end about like the the way M. Gustav will never be like can never be around anymore. Like it's such a different age back then. But it is so weird and has so many like ridiculous comic moments that it does feel like Royal Tenenbaums is like, this is just a family drama and you love family dramas. So like you nominated Grand Budapest for best picture in a year where it was 10 nominees, but uh, like Royal Tenenbaums definitely seems much more up their alley. So I I understand what you're saying exactly that like he hasn't reigned back at all. But the, the Academy's like, yeah, yeah, keep giving us this crazy shit. I would say that um, Grand Budapest Hotel is also technically far more advanced than yes. oh, Royal Tenenbaums. Absolutely. absolutely. And, like, the stakes of that movie are significantly higher. Um, not just, like, in terms of, you know, like, the actual, like, character stakes. But, like, this is literally, like Matt said, this is just, like, a family drama, like... It mostly takes place in the house or near the house. Oh, in like a I meant part like, of like the filming aspect, like the actual technicality of filming is more advanced in Royal Tenenbaums that or in Grand Budapest than Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, like the shots he takes are more advanced. Sure. He's messing the with stop aspect motion. ratio. Yeah, there's yeah. there's a lot more happening than in Royal yeah. Tenenbaums. Yeah, that's true. Um. Anyway, so it was not. It was only nominated for screenplay. Uh, Bummer. It, it lost to Gosford Park from Julian Fellows, which I have never seen, but Downton Abbey is that. dope. Uh, it's pretty good. So, is it better than Royal Tenenbaums? I saw it when I was babysitting when I was thirteen, but I remember being like, "This is pretty good." <laughs> I have not All seen right. it since. Okay. Uh, it was also up against Amelie, Memento, and Monsters Ball, which what a year! That's a... Amelie is that old? Yeah, yeah. Amelie's old as fuck. In the movie, she's old as fuck. She's actually <laughs> she's the grandma. <laughs> she's the lady yeah. who threw the heart of the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amelie uh... was the sequel to Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> I would. I've never seen the the actual version of Amelie, but I would watch that version of Amelie in a fucking heartbeat. So <laughs> It's been 87 fun. years. <laughs> so yeah, get on that, uh, uh, Hollywood. Um, other things that this movie definitely should have been nominated for, the only one that jumps out to me is uh, production design. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, we talked a little bit about it already, but that house is fucking incredible. Um, yeah. And like every single room in that house is like a wholly different theme. Um, but they all like 
perfectly makes sense for whatever character or whatever scene they need to like suit um i also think like i could you could maybe make an argument for costume design it's not like super showy but um i do think like all of the characters very much have like their style and all of the styles like while all kind of retro e in general um are all like fairly unique um those are the only two that would like jump out to me who won for costume gasford park uh moulin rouge actually Ooh. Hmm. Uh, which you up against this yeah right like i don't think it would have won um but it could have maybe been nominated i don't know uh also in the conversation that year were or in the nominee pool were uh affair of the necklace which is a movie i've never even heard of yeah what um uh about two necklaces fucking oh oh but one of them's married Let's, uh, let's add that to the watch list. Uh, Gosford Park, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, and Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Rings. Uh, how did it beat Lord of the Rings for costume? I, I mean, who, I don't know. Who won the for Academy's... costume there? Moulin Rouge? Moulin Rouge, what yeah. The but also, Return of the King swept that year, so I think they did the same thing with Lord of the Rings costuming that they did with the entire franchise which was just like we'll get you later we'll spot you <laughs> at the end just hold tight we'll get there eventually <laughs> we'll give you a couple small little baby things like it it won uh cinematography and visual effects that year so like it didn't win nothing it should have won visual effects every year those still hold out almost yeah. by and large we'll do our lord of the rings deep dive sometime much later <laughs> in the future <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think that's probably a wrap on Royal Tenenbaums. So, uh, more importantly than anything else, Tierney, did we convince you to move it back up into your top three? Um, I'm undecided on what my third is at the moment. Oh. So oh. a slight improvement, but, okay. <laughs> but it, uh, I just know my top two at this point. That's fair. I don't Fine. know my th- I don't know my third. I'd have to rewatch the other ones. I think I'm going to rewatch Life Aquatic uh, cuz I haven't seen it in years and I remember being very charmed by it the first time. So, uh I actually don't like Life Aquatic that much. And I think it's, it's because you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like again, I would take any Wes Anderson movie over most other movies, so like I, it's not that I would like it's not that I don't like Life Aquatic. I just, I don't think it's as good as some of his other stuff, which I know a lot of people, especially our age, like that was the Wes Anderson movie with all of my friends in college. And I was always like, yeah, it's good, but I don't know. I just, I never like, I, I was, I never had the connection to that movie that most other people do. Fantastic Mr. Fox or bust. Fantastic mm. Mr. Fox is so good. Love it's, that movie. I, I At this point, I've seen that one the most times, and it is definitely number one. But yeah, I also I have, I love Rodal, so like, yeah, you I were definitely am more biased to it. For sure. Yeah, you're a doll darl. A doll darl. Doll <laughs> darl. Um... So on that note, I think I just wanted to 
end today's podcast with some programming notes. Um, your your boys and girl finally um, got their website in working order. Tierney did a great job making the website, and then Matt and I did a really bad job of actually uh, filling out the information that she requested of us. So, Correct. Uh, <laughs> we finally did that. So uh, go ahead and check out our website, uh, anotherfilmpodcast.com. Uh, we've got all sorts of goodies in there. And then um, as of right now, we are currently live on spotify which is pretty cool and exciting um so feel free to go and subscribe we have uh submitted a request to be on apple podcasts we are currently in limbo waiting for approval on that front but uh but yeah everything's coming up uh coming up podcasts i would say mm-hmm. i would also I say that but yeah uh we're on we're gonna do it we're, we're doing it uh, oh, and then the other programming note is that um, kind of what Matt was alluding to at the beginning, um, starting our, with the next episode, we'll actually be like moving into like the um, quote unquote film festival uh, format of the podcast, uh, which is uh, each one of us is going to propose a movie. Um, we're all going to watch it and then we'll just discuss it, um, what we liked, what we didn't like why somebody chose it etc cetera, etc cetera. um so yeah that's that's what the the podcast is going to look like uh moving forward so uh with that matt what have you been up to this week uh i started watching friday night lights with my housemates yes the tv show not the movie i didn't start a movie and still <laughs> i'm working on it i, um, I started an hour and 45 minute long movie uh i'm gonna break this one up over i'm gonna i'm gonna quibby yeah. this shit and i'm gonna break it up <laughs> over the next 10 days <laughs> oh i really like the idea of break of like calling breaking up a movie over several watches quibbying yeah i think we should patent that great great idea colin <laughs> Um, Except but the no, only I, problem is that Quibi fucking sucks. It's so bad. But that's why. But that's well, it also sucks when you break up a movie like that would suck. Exactly. exactly. So yeah. it's a perfect term. Yeah, it's All a right, perfect term for that. Um, but I, I really like uh, Friday Night Lights so far. Uh, so we'll see how much, uh, how much more I get into it. So far, big fan of Matt Saracen. Uh, uh, still sad. learning if I like Riggins. And uh, that's fair. I'm a, a huge street fan. Even though he started to jump to conclusions in the, the episode we're watching. But you'll have to watch to know what I'm talking about. That's uh, all. What, what, how far are you into it? Um, Eight, seven episodes in the first season. Nice. Uh, yeah. First season's fantastic. Second season is okay. But you, you gotta power through. Season three through five are just impeccable. It's so excited. Good. I'm Very so happy. Excited happy and excited for you yeah i've been um, a real mask boy during uh quarantine we watched bull durham we watched roadhouse yesterday and <laughs> we're watching friday night lights so if i've never been butch before in my life quarantine <laughs> quarantine's making me the butchest to butch around uh what did you think of bull durham oh it's fun I, it's my second time seeing it i think it's an incredibly fun movie oh, and like very really well good. written and yeah i think it's one of my favorite sports movies, um, and that doesn't say a ton outright, but I do enjoy the movie a lot. It's a good movie. Bless. 
Uh, Tierney, do you have talking points, or do you need me to stall for you a little bit more? Um, you can go ahead. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, the new Fiona Apple album is really good. Um, <clears throat> I've never been a Fiona Apple fan. Like, I've heard some of her songs here and there, but... Uh, when her album came out a couple weeks ago and like the internet collectively like freaked the fuck out i was like Mm -hmm. uh maybe i should pay attention to this thing and i listened to it pretty much nonstop last week it's very very good and i would recommend um the other thing i've been up to more recently is rewatching uh film series that i own um so i watched the um, entire Jurassic Park series after we watched that the first one for our podcast which is a real roller coaster um, and then uh, currently I'm making my way through the Indiana Jones franchise and y'all Temple of Doom fucking sucks and people who say that Crystal Skull is the worst uh Indiana Jones movie are bad people and they are wrong. So that's wow. that's my stance on that. Um, wow. So yeah, I'm gonna go watch Crystal Skull later today, and I'm already excited about it. Say hi to Mutt Jones for me. <laughs> you Mutt skipped Williams. the Last Crusade. Oh, I, I watched that one already. I like that I one's just... the best. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Raiders and Last Crusade are both fantastic. Uh, Temple of Doom is a real pile of shit in the middle, <laughs> and uh, you know Crystal Skull is like B minus Indiana Jones. It's got big ants, big old it's got ants, big fucking ants, and huge ants. Shia LaBeouf like fucking Tarzaning his shit all over the place. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's got like, Kate look, Blanchett going, "Give me all of the knowledge," or whatever. Yeah, her like it's is. not great. To be clear, but it's not nearly as bad as Temple of Doom. Is what I think I'm that's saying. a fair take. Um, yeah, that's me. So, what have I been up to? Um, I started reading Brian Wilson's memoir. It's pretty Ooh. good. Uh, he's just re- he writes it like he's just a normal dude, and I really like that. Um, also, from sorry, from everything I can tell, he he like kind of is a normal i mean like he obviously like like this is brian wilson of beach boys right i assume yep Mm -hmm. yeah i mean like one of the greatest songwriters of all time so like he's not a normal dude and he definitely has like some issues but but he's like it's very it's written in like a very humble way yeah where he he's just like yeah this is just my life and like he's gets he still gets super nervous which i think is like really interesting you don't really hear a lot of artists talk about that uh he's deaf in one ear i'm also like only one chapter in guys <laughs> uh, tyranny tell me everything you haven't gotten to the huge <laughs> yeah uh, but... I, let me know when you get to the kokomo chapter okay uh but no i know like a fair like i know a fair bit about his life but it was just the book itself was recommended to me uh, and so I love the Beach Boys, so I was like, I'll give it a go. And it's like, it's, I don't know, a lot of memoirs suck. <laughs> like, yeah. they could have a really cool life, but, like, the way that they're written blows. And his is, like, written, it's, like, 
simple like he's is not throwing in like the thesaurus every other sentence but it's written in like a very i don't know humble and understanding way i'm really liking it um and then i don't know been watching some documentaries i watched one about uh pro surfer andy irons um that's on amazon um and uh are you guys familiar with the police squad no film series the television series television series is it is it oh police academy was the film was the film series (laughs) is police squad the opposite of goon squad (laughs) to answer your question no (laughs) it's like uh leslie nielsen naked gun series came out of it and i like we had them taped as as kids and we would watch them but i haven't watched them in probably 25 years and i've only watched one episode but i have not left that hard in quarantine (laughs) so in six weeks i have not left that hard um it's just relentless dumb humor oh bless honestly Uh, that's like all we need right now (laughs) yes just just dumb shit that makes us laugh for a really long time (laughs) and like a lot of them are like super simple bits like who's on first type thing like they shot a guy named twice his last name is twice and so they kept being like and you shot twice and she's like i only shot him once and it's (laughs) so stupid but (laughs) makes me so happy (laughs) oh that's incredible uh, so I think we'll probably watch the rest of the, the those episodes at some point in the next few weeks. Now, important um, follow-up question. Um, yes. Are you still watching them on the VHS tapes from your childhood? No. Because, <laughs> <Okay>. no. <laughs> no, uh, like, let's be honest, knowing you, I wouldn't put it past you at all. <laughs> I mean, my mom still has the DVD-VHS combined. Yeah, thing. yeah, she does. Um, but we have to have them because all of our family videos go inside of a VHS converter. Um, sure. Which I think I want to get digitized. I hope that's not expensive. Anyway, so that's what I've been doing this week. Uh, bit of writing, bit of reading, nice. bit of watching. I started doing yoga. Oh. I don't hate it. Which is I was going to say, is it helping? I mean, it's not hurting. <laughs> it seems. I, I, honestly, I think that's about all we can ask for at this point in our lives. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I've started doing like core exercises because my muscles are atrophying, guys. Yeah, I uh, spent literally all day yesterday in a horizontal position, either lying in bed or reclined uh, on the couch. And I woke up this morning and my back is fucking killing me, so so that's Yikes. that's good. <laughs> Luckily Yikes. I can leave this apartment and go do something and hopefully get that sorted out. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, at any rate, Matt, do you wanna sign us off here? Hey, sure. <laughs> um hey, we've had a great time mixing it up, scrapping and loving every minute with you, damn <laughs> listeners. Uh and come back for the next episode uh, where we're going to be talking about another movie. Uh, we haven't decided yet what it'll be, so it'll be a surprise for you uh, when you see it get posted. So uh, thanks for listening. And uh, on behalf of all of us Ramis from 1F, uh, 
keep watching movies. I'm finished. <laughs> I'm finished. <laughs> there you go.